It's the Rocky Jordan Show. And I'm Rocky Jordan. We take you now to Cairo and the Cafe Tambourine for a world of adventure with Rocky Jordan. It started with a timid tapping on the door to my office. When I said come in, the door opened and standing framed in the archway was a skinny guy with high cheekbones and a hawk-like nose. My name, sir, is Salomon. As you see by the cage I carry, I am a merchant of birds. Uh-huh. I see by the look in your eye, I'm your target for tonight. Ah, you are a man of vision. These lovebirds are yours, Mr. Jordan, for the insignificant sum of 30 piastres. Sorry, Solomon, I'm not in the market. The 30 piastres includes the cave. Uh-uh. Plus a six-month supply of bird food. I'm sorry, Solomon, I told you I didn't want them. But in all honesty, Effendi, I cannot allow you to bypass such a bargain. Get out of here. 25 piastres. And I will clean the cage. Let go of my sleeve, him she. What was that? Sounded like a shot in the alley. end of the alley, some 50 feet away, stood a girl in a white dress, bare at the shoulders, her profile silhouetted in the hazy light of a street lamp. She was using both hands to aim an oversized revolver at a cringing figure. Mercy! In the name of heaven, Two more shots came, and the figure of the man rolled into the gutter. The girl threw a shot at the street lamp, shattering it, and started to run. By the time I got to the spot of shooting, she, whoever she was, had completely vanished into the Cairo night. Cafe Tambourine, crowded with tourists, camel drivers, women, sheets, forgotten men down on their luck, the lonely and the lost. For this is Cairo, gateway to the ancient east, where modern adventure and intrigue unfold against a backdrop of antiquity. Tonight's Rocky Jordan story, The Word of a Bishop. I see. Is this Miss Jordan's photograph? She's young, about... uh... 22, I'd say. But then I'm not very good on guessing ages. For instance, I'd say you were about uh, 53. 51. You see what I mean? I'm not very good about ages. Something's happened. Don't do that again, Mr. Chelsea. Well, something has. And I know why, too. Now I'll listen to you. I've known Celia for three years. Met her at a banquet for my corporation stockholders. She was there because... Well, if you must know... Well, she was in a cake. You met her in a cake, Mr. Chelsea? Well, well, I pulled the ribbon that was attached to this big cake on the table, and and Celia popped out. That sometimes happens. And it was just about this time that Cliff went away. Cliff? Cliff Moore, a boy that Celia used to know. He was in the Army, went overseas with the occupation forces three years ago. I see, and you took over. Cliff is back now. Celia told me. She said she saw Cliff on the street and he recognized her. But she didn't recognize him. Oh? Why? She found out Cliff was discharged for mental reasons. Something about he was hurt on maneuvers. Oh, I don't know. You're trying to say that this Cliff... That this Cliff has done harm to Celia. That's what I'm trying to say. What about those bloodstains? It could have been nothing, or it could have been what the man said, a violence, unknown, unshaped, born and nurtured in the December love of the man for a woman. 
And finally, the violence assuming its pattern and its texture. The room torn in anger. The room empty of the woman. The room stained with blood. And the policeman has to make sure. He calls the men from technical, and they come with their scales and their rules and the sharp little knives. And they scrape and measure and weigh. The blood is human blood. Does it equal death? And that's an equation a policeman has to solve. At the hotel where Cliff Moore lived, they told me he'd checked out. No, he hadn't left a forwarding address. And that meant an all-points bulletin on Cliff Moore and Celia Jordan. And in a few hours, a call from Detective Mugovan. A bartender on 3rd Avenue had recognized a picture of Celia Jordan. Would I care to come down and check? I cared. Hi, Danny. Hello, Mugovan. Which one recognized the picture? Uh, uh, Charlie over there. Hey, Charlie! Coming up, Detective no! Uh, no, Charlie, just you, no more beer. Uh, what'll it be, Detective Mugovan? Uh, this is Danny Clover, Charlie, the detective handling the case I was telling you about. Oh, Charlie. Well, I'm glad to know you, Danny. Mugovan tells me you recognize Celia Jordan's picture. Was she in here? Well, no, she was that. And not alone. With a man, and well, she might be. She's that pretty. When was that? Oh, yesterday, toward the cool of the evening, in the twilight cocktail hour. They sat at that marble-topped table with the romantic crack in its surface. What time did they leave? Oh, around eight, I'd say. They were hungry, went off to eat. How do you know? The girl was so pretty, I kept hovering around the table. That way, willy-nilly, I was forced to eavesdrop. Were you forced to hear where they went? Why, oh, was indeed. To Matthew's, the steakhouse on 2nd Avenue it was. waited on this girl? Hmm. I'm certain of it. Of course, yes. Was she with anyone? She was. A young man. A nervous, temperamental type, I'd classify him. Uh, the way he handled his eating tools. Uh, the way he addressed himself to his food. All symptoms of... How long left. were they here? Mm, a modest time. They ate neither too quickly to a new story. Uh, rather rare in these times. How long? An hour and a half, an hour and 40 minutes. What does it matter, one way or another? They left here around 10 o'clock. Hmm, around 10 o'clock. Did you... Uh, uh, permit me to anticipate your question, friend. They left by cab. Yellow cab. Yeah, I picked them up at a steak joint on second. What's the matter? They committed something? Where'd you take them? To the girl's apartment on 63rd. Man tells me to wait. I wait. An hour, an hour and a half, two hours. My meter is a bloom with money. Donnie comes and spoils it all. Alone? All alone. I gather that they, uh... <laughs> what does it matter what I get? Anyway, I take the guy to the address he gives me. Where? The Suffolk Hotel on 71st. He committed something? Yeah, come on in. Well, don't stand there. Come on in. You're Cliff Moore? I'll close the door and sit down, will you? We've been looking for you, Cliff. Now, that's mighty nice. The police. Oh, I know what. The census taker missed me. You know why we've been looking for you? Gosh. Huh? I don't know you well enough, so I said, gosh. That's because my cigarette just rolled off the table. Step on it, huh? Hmm. Thanks. You were looking for me. Why? Because of Celia Jordan. She's coming back to me on bended knee, and she's rousted the whole police department to find me. Good, sweet, four-square Celia. She's missing, Cliff. We found bloodstains in her apartment. That guy, that tall Chelsea beat her up? 
Oh, I'll bet she had fun. Cliff, we know you were with Celia last night. We know you took her home, spent some time in her apartment. Swell, swell. What happened between you and her yesterday? Walked and talked and sipped a few and had a steak. You know, boy and girl, hand in hand. The things magazine ads are made of. What happened in her apartment? Oh, sad time. She had a smile all rehearsed to drag out for the occasion. You're a nice boy, Cliff, and we did have fun, but you're broke. The best you can expect is 50 a week if you're your type of successful. Anyway, Cliff, there's the thing. She didn't know how to say it, so she called it the thing. She said it in capital letters. About what? I got a medical discharge from the army because... Well, because I'm a nervous boy. Post-war Germany made me nervous. Also a live landmine during maneuvers. What else? I don't know. So you can't find Celia, huh? No, we can't. Now, when you find her, let me know if she needs any help. Sure. Don't run away, Cliff. <laughs> you kidding? I sit here and run away all the time. Because I'm a nervous boy. Look what I got on the tray, Danny. Nice surprise, huh? Huh? Come on, sit down, Danny, and I will cater to what you. In the name of iced tea, Danny. Look, boiled hot water, courtesy the lab boys with their Bunsen burners. Cubes of ice, courtesy the deft hand of Gino Tartaglia, pearl learning from a water cooler. Tea bags, courtesy Mrs. Tartaglia, who is friendly with the friendly jewel tea man. Glasses, courtesy. Uh, Gino, Gino, what have I ever done? Well, you have been considerate and kind to me, Danny. So this is just a small token of the. <clears throat> well, uh, how do you want it? With or without lemon? With. The best way to fight the heat. Hey, coming up, Danny. Gino? Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. You want to know, is there any progress in the search for one Celia Jordan vanished? Possibly mayhem committed upon. Possibly deceased. Uh, stop me if I'm wrong. No, no, go ahead. There is no progress. Anything else, Danny? No. No, I guess there's nothing else, Gino. Oh, excuse me. Uh, certainly. Thank you. Danny Clover speaking. I understand you've been looking for me, Mr. Clover. Who is this? Celia Jordan. Are you all right? Not a mark on you, Mr. Clover, anywhere. Come see for yourself. You really should. It leaves your mind. But we thought... Where are you, Miss Jordan? At the Amsterdam Hotel on 34th Street, room 2412. I'll be ready for you. You see... You see, Mr. Clover, I'm perfectly all right. My arms, my legs, my throat. I wore this sunsuit especially for you. Clay lost himself in the night. I caught a cab and made it to the chicken market on Sharia El Shamir. The room behind it was easy to find. No lights came from inside. Rapped on the door. No answer came, so I pushed at it. The door swung open. Light from the street lamp went into the room with me. Solomon's room, all right. Bird cage in the corner, two lovebirds perched close to each other, cooing away, told me as much. But what was more interesting was the figure on the bed. My corroborating witness, Solomon, the merchant of birds. He was dead. Well, the bird seller who could prove to Sabaya that my version of the Diedrich killing wasn't a lie was dead. So I was right back where I started from. It was still Bishop Heatherbrook's word against mine. 
I threw a cloth over the dead Solomon and stepped into the street again to find a public phone to call Sabaya. I didn't have to. A moment later, a large official limousine turned the corner and pulled to a stop right in front of me. Captain Sam Sabaya climbed out of the back seat. Oh, what is this, Sam? Telepathy? I was just going to call you. About the death of Solomon, the seller of birds, no doubt. How do you know? I have been informed of the matter already by the man who sits in the back seat of my limousine. How do you do, Mr. Jordan? We meet again. Well, Bishop Heatherbrook. Yeah, you remember my name. I'm flattered. I got a reason to. How do you know Solomon was dead? Why, I presume the same way you did, Mr. Jordan. I saw him. So did the man who killed him. Jordan, watch your tongue. Oh, it's all right, Captain. Mr. Jordan meant no offense. He was simply stating what is true. What are you doing here in the first place? Jordan, the bishop does not have to answer your questions. But I don't mind at all, Captain Savile. Then you will excuse me. The sergeant and I have worked to do in Solomon's room. Come along, sergeant. Uh, Mr. Jordan, I came here even as you did to speak to Solomon. I had said that it was a man who killed Mr. Deidre, and you had said it was a woman. Well, we could not both be right. I wish to see if Solomon would really have substantiated your story. Now, I guess we won't know, will we? I guess not. All of which still makes me wonder why you said it was a man when I know it was a woman. And I wonder no less, Mr. Jordan, why you said it was a woman when I know it was a man. Uh, I, I can see you trust yourself more than you do me, but it's quite natural, of course. I wonder if you believe I am who I say I am. People have passed themselves off as other people. Well, the British Embassy has vouched for me. The police officials in Manchester, England, will vouch for me, too. So will His Eminence, the Reverend Josephus Wady of the Coptic Church in Alexandria. A formidable array of people on my side. Uh, how can you challenge them at all? You're making it awfully tough. There's one thing I can do. What is that? Find the girl who killed Deidre. When I left the bishop, I headed toward my end of town, but all the while I sat in the back of a taxi, my mind was thinking of Amy Ruth Keene, Copper Keene, and the things she'd said in my office. I told the cabbie to drop me off at the Hotel Ramides II and went up to the desk clerk. Oh, uh, Keene's room, please. Which one is it? Mr. Keene or Mrs. Keene? Does it matter? Yes, sir. They have separate suites. Mr. Keene is in 212. Mrs. Keene is 211. Thanks. A little while later, I stood in front of 211, Mrs. Keene's suite. A funny thing struck me. 211 and 212 were across the hall from each other. An odd arrangement for a married couple. Now the buzzer brought the door open in a moment. An elderly lady who said she was Amy Ruth's Aunt Stella let me in. I told her what I wanted. She called Copper and left the two of us alone to talk. Well, Rocky? Mrs. Keene... Call me Copper, Rocky. It's much more intimate. Now, let's leave it Mrs. Keene. For a while, anyway. Well, you look so serious. I'm in a little bind with an English bishop named Heatherbrook. Oh, yes, I know about it. Captain Sabah told Ralph and me. A girl killed Deidre. That's what I saw. Did you? Why tell me about it? I don't know for sure. Except I'd like to find the girl who did it. You certainly don't think it was me, Rocky. Mrs. Keene, Deidre was killed because of the $60,000 he carried on his person. Suffolk Hotel on 71st. Cliff Moore. Uh, this Cliff Moore, he murdered the girl? Maybe, but I don't think so. Oh? Uh, this is a day for riddles, huh, Danny? No, Doctor. This is a day where I get a choice. I get two suspects for the price of one.
Yes. My name's Danny Clover. I'm from the police. Are you... Mrs. Chelsea. You have the correct house? Yes. Well, then, please come in. Thank you. Mrs. Chelsea, I... Sit down, please. All right. Yes? Uh, I wanted to talk to your husband. Oh, I'm afraid not. He's not home, you know. I stopped at his office. He wasn't there either. No, of course not. Then where is he? Oh, I'm afraid I couldn't tell you that. I really don't know where he is. The bother of it is... Don't you care where he is? Paul? My husband? Oh, no. Mrs. Chelsea... Is Paul in trouble? Yes, he is. Well, fix your drink if you'd like. No, don't bother. It's in connection with a murder. Yeah, the one in this morning's paper. Celia Jordan's. You know about her? Paul doesn't think I do, but I know all about her. Unfortunate. Some women never know why suddenly they come to hate the men they used to love. They blame it on routine, getting old, habit. (laughs) So silly. And you hate your husband? Because of Celia Jordan. Has he murdered her? Maybe. Maybe someone else. We'll find out. Oh, I wouldn't suspect anyone else if I were you. That'd be stupid. Paul killed that girl. He told you he did? As much as did that. Oh? I confess it. I listen in on his telephone conversations. He thinks I eat chocolates when I lie in bed. Oh, I do, but I listen to his conversations on the extensions. Not much fun, but then it's not much effort either. What are you trying to tell me, Mrs. Chelsea? That girl... Hmm? Oh, sorry, Coven. Must have been thinking about something else. Ah, like you have been all evening. The deed for killing, isn't it? That's a bishop that bothers me, I guess. I'll let it go. I'll try to... Rocky. Introducing the internationally famous dance team of Pandro and the Three. All your pleasure. Pandro, a tall, slim man in a dark cutaway, did Philippe the graceful brunette, dark eyes, and a white evening gown. They went into their act, and they were good, spinning lively in the pink spotlight. Vincent instructed struck copper, too, at the same time. Look, Rocky, with a spotlight on it, it's like an electric sign flashing on and off. First you see the man, and then the girl. The man, and then the girl. Yeah, come on, copper, let's get out of here. What? But, Rocky... Come on, we haven't got time to talk. I got something to do. Drop you off at your hotel and talk to you tomorrow. All right, but I don't understand. I don't exactly understand myself, but I hope to before the night's out. Dropped Copper off at a room at Hotel Ramides the second, walked down to the lobby and found a phone. A moment later, I had awakened the good Bishop Heatherbrook. Hello? Hello? Uh, Bishop Heatherbrook, Jordan. Oh, Mr. Jordan. Uh, answer one question for me. Who told you where to find Solomon? Well, indeed. Oh, a slight, very pale-faced young man. I can't remember his name. Essex? Uh, yes, that's it. Uh, we met in the lobby of the Hotel Remedies the Second. I believe he has a room there. Well, he couldn't have picked a better place. I'm there already. Thanks, Bishop Heatherbrook. Sleepy desk clerk gave me Essex's room number. Knock on the door, brought no answer, but a sleepier elevator man loaned me his passkey. Inside Essex's room, I wasted no time. I started with the bureau drawers. Yeah, nothing there but a lot of soiled clothes. Next came the desk by the corner window. Nothing there but hotel stationery. Then came the closets. A locked suitcase looked promising. I pried it open and looked inside. Lying right on top was a photograph of Essex himself. A theatrical photograph of Essex in dance costume. One look at the costume told me the answer. Both Bishop Heatherbrook and myself had told true stories of the Diedrich killing. 
answer to the strange affair was an Essex suitcase. An answer which showed that both Bishop Heatherbrook and I had told true stories. A photograph of Essex in theatrical dress. A dance costume, half man, half woman. It was a weird kind of act. I remembered seeing one like it many years ago in a nightclub in Marseille. I stuffed the photo into my pocket and prepared to go to Sam. Please, Mr. Jordan. I do not wish you to leave so soon. Walk toward me. It was Essex standing with his back to the door, 38 in his hand. Ah, you have found the secret then? If you dig deeper into that suitcase, you will find the costume itself. I won't need it, Essex. This photo will do fine. How can you talk so arrogantly? After all, I have the gun. The same one that killed Deidre and Solomon, huh? The very same. A fairly neat trick, Essex. Killing in costume, half man, half woman. In the night, it would confuse the witnesses, making the job harder for the police. Yes, you say. Well, Sam would have worked it out. He'd figure just like I am now. You weren't in it alone. How so? You were all dressed up in that outfit of yours, hiding up the street someplace from the Hotel Ramides II, waiting for Deidre. But you had to know what time he'd come by, and that he was carrying the money. Now, who'd know that? Deidre himself, Amy Ruth Keene, and Ralph. Deidre wasn't going to tell anybody. It would be a dangerous thing for him to advertise. Amy Ruth had no interest in the 60000 Lipstick money for her. So it was Ralph who got a taste of high living and liked it. $60,000 would be a lot to him. He tipped you up. What was the split, Essex? How much did you get for killing? Enough, Mr. Jordan. Come on, tell me. I'm interested in knowing the going rates for death. Hmm. Yours, my good friend, will be very cheap indeed. In fact, I plan on doing it for nothing. Is that of a medical discharge? Let's go, Cliff. <laughs> Stop it, Cliff. I said let's go. Let go on and hit me. There's nothing I could do to you, so hit me. What? Look at my hands, my arms. I can't lift them no more than that. That live mine, I told you about. It fixed them like that. I can lift them maybe four inches. That's what makes me so interesting. That's how I can take an andiron and beat a man to death when I can't even open a door or lift a cigarette off the floor without crawling like an animal. <laughs> you call me a murderer? <laughs> oh, thanks, Mr. Clover. Oh, my, and I was just dozing off, too. What now? May I come in, Mrs. Chelsea? Oh, and I was just dozing off, too. I have to talk to you. Oh, please come in. Oh, I hope this won't take too long. Sit down. No, I don't think so. Well, what now, Mr. Clover? About Paul. Oh, Paul. He's dead. Oh, you're silly. He's dead, Mrs. Chelsea. He is? Paul? What? Why, you're not kidding me. He really is, isn't he? Uh Uh-huh. You better leave me alone, Mr. Clover. The things I said about him, you won't believe me if I cry. No, I won't. I don't blame you. Please, please go away. Who killed him? You don't know? Who killed Paul? It was this way. Your husband murdered Celia Jordan. I told you that. Because she demanded blackmail. Because she threatened to tell you about what Paul had been doing. And I knew about it all the time. Errors. A comedy of errors. Tragedy. The blackmail was a scheme whipped up between Celia and her boyfriend, Cliff Moore. And this boy, this Cliff, he killed my husband. Why should Cliff do that? 
Why? Oh, my. <laughs>